So you guys have outlines in your bulletins. Today's uh, 9.30 Bible study is called Resolutions, Goals, Discipline, the Dominion Mandate, and Practical Steps. Sounds fun. Oh, thank you. I may use that. I may not. So, what does it say, the 5th? 5th of uh, January? How many of you guys have New Year's resolutions? Nobody. Okay, we got one. Nobody. We got two. Wow. How many of you guys are lying? Yeah. Okay, those of you who have set New Year's resolutions, how many of you have failed already? Not even a whole week, right? We're terrible people. Um, so I want to look at first at uh, like just what the Bible says about resolutions, setting goals. Are they biblical? Um, I don't think we did anything at the beginning of 2019, as far as I can remember, and my memory is pretty good um, from a year ago on what we did in a specific message one time. 365 days ago. So, uh, I know in 2018, Greg gave our kind of New Year's resolution, goal setting, uh, planning, organization kind of type message, um, and you can find that on the podcast. I can send you a link to that. Uh, I referenced that, but Jason Hale in the past has commonly, um, or has often, a little bit before or a little bit after New Year's, given us a message on goal-setting, resolutions, things like that. Uh, I still have, I think it was the first year that I came to GCF, uh, I still have notes from Jason Hill's message on how to be a disciplined person, and I'm still working on it. So, hopefully the, the kind of adage is true, is that you know whoever needs to hear this message most, you probably don't need to hear it as much as I do. So, uh, hopefully we can go through this first section kind of quick. Resolution goals, are they biblical? Let's find out. <laughs> Everyone who didn't raise their hand who set New Year's resolutions uh, is hoping that they're not, I guess. So 1 Corinthians 9.26, just the first part, A. Uh, this is Paul. So I do not run aimlessly. Well, that's pretty straightforward. <laughs> um, just a real quick kind of the background of Paul and what his mission was. Uh, he traveled around you know, setting up churches very specifically, training elders, sending teams of people um, to set up churches uh, with qualified teachers and leaders in every city or every major city that he visited in the Roman Empire. Uh, and he took quite a bit of time to get started, but he did it for the rest of his life uh, until it cost him his life, and uh, he wasn't just doing it aimlessly, Right? So Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Not, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise... God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So Paul actually says, like, let, us, let those of us who are mature think this way, that we're pressing towards a goal. We're not running aimlessly. We're shooting for something. You know, we're going to talk about, hopefully you guys already knew that resolutions and goals are biblical. 
It's a mature way of thinking, right? This is, it's a little rhetorical. Uh, it's not meant to be demeaning or like, oh, let's find out if this is really biblical. I hope we already came with that assumption, right? And this is just, a, this is kind of a reminder, and we want to see this. But Paul actually says the mature think this way. The mature press on towards the goal. The mature are thinking in this way. And, uh, and if anything else you think otherwise, God will reveal that, right? There's a, if you're not goal setting, resol- making resolutions, setting your mind towards something, then uh, Christ actually wants you to mature in that, right? Paul's goal actually here is stated before uh, in the previous verses, to obtain the resurrection from the dead, to be with Christ, to become like Christ. So he has real things he's striving for. He's striving for godliness. He's striving for preaching the gospel. He's striving for the presence of God. He's, he's striving for a lot of specific things that he states earlier. So Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to, po- only to poverty. So uh, I love the Proverbs because they're simple, straight to the point, and they usually, uh, if you read them humbly, punch you in the gut. So, uh, think about what it would take to build a house. Or, I'm sorry, that's the, uh, the next verse, we're, a couple of verses we're going to look at. Um, right? Plans means you, revolved, you resolved to do something. If you have a plan, you're setting your mind to do something. You're looking forward. You're, you're planning ahead. Right? Diligence means you're going to follow through. Right? That's why we make New Year's resolutions, uh, so we could fail within a week. But... We know we failed, so let's pick on and keep going. So, uh, one of my favorite verses, Ezra 7.10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So, if you guys know a little bit about uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, as following the same period of time. Uh, both have Ezra as a, as a main character. So, Ezra had set his mind to do this, to, to study the law of the Lord to do it and to teach it, right, in all of Israel. So if you look in Nehemiah 8, you kind of see <coughs> what was the outcome of that. So uh, Ezra 8 starts with Ezra preaching, um, setting up a podium. He's preaching to the people, right? He's teaching as if it was in a synagogue or Sunday service. And then he has delegates. Uh, I forget, he names quite a bit. It's like, 17 or something, or 17 to 20 people he names, of who he then sits down the people in smaller groups. It was then a small group study after that to say, did you understand what was taught to you? Did you guys get it? Right? Because Ezra had set his mind not just to, to preach. He didn't want to just become a preacher. He wanted everyone to understand the law. So he made plans. He diligently sought it. He implemented that. Right? Nehemiah 8 is a great reference for uh, how to disciple. Love it. Okay, Proverbs 24, 27. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. Right? Prudence, knowledge, discipline, organization, all these things would be needed to prepare your work outside. So just think about what it would take to build a house. Anybody build a house? Does anybody think you should start with a roof? Great. You're already planning ahead. Great. You guys are doing good. All right, Romans 16.20. And thus I make it my ambition. Uh, all these verses are, by the way, in the ESV. The uh, NASB, New American Standard Bible, says, aim, I make it my aim, to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, 
lest I build on someone else's foundation. Right? So that's, that's again Paul. Uh, and he actually had goals not to preach where, where people had already set up. He had, his goal was to go where Christ was not a foundation. He was going into new cultures. He was cold calling evangelizing, so to speak. So um, I just wanted to briefly that to make the point, like, actually, I think biblically speaking, we're never actually going to accomplish anything unless we set goals and have resolutions, unless we have something we're aiming for. We are not meant to be, um, you know, using biblical metaphors, we're not meant to be Christian soldiers out here just like waving our sword and like maybe if we put our sword on the ground or something and, and our shield is like a good seat pad or a sled or something. No, we're supposed to be trained. We're supposed to use them purposely. Uh, a good soldier is trained and prepared and, and ready for war. Um, you know, and, and it's my conviction that without, without goals, without looking forward to something, without, we'll talk about practical things, about being specific, uh, we're actually just wandering aimlessly and you're being tossed around by the world, uh, your flesh and the devil. So, goals, good. Biblical, yes. Resolutions, great. Keeping them even better. All right, discipline and the dominion mandate. <clears throat> this is where it gets tough, actually keeping goals. All right, Luke 9, 23 to 24. Uh, speaking of Jesus, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So our whole call, all, our whole call to follow Christ is a call to discipline. We're not called to do what we want, when we want, how we want. We're called to deny ourselves and to seek Christ. Um, so that comes in the name, right? A disciple of Christ is a discipline. You can't be a disciple without being disciplined. You can't deny yourself and be your Lord, your own Lord at the same time. You can't... Um, you know, follow Christ and follow your earthly desires at the same time. They're antithetical. So one of the solutions, what I think the main solution is, is when we see Christ as more valuable than anything we could get in this world, even our own lives, that is when we'll lay down everything. All right, so um, what's, what's the most common New Year's resolution? Everybody knows what it is. Lose weight, right? Exercise, do something physical, right? Um, why do... Why do people not keep that resolution easily? Why, isn't, why is that even a resolution, and why don't we keep it? Lazy. We're lazy. We would rather watch reruns of The Office or Parks and Rec and, and eat unhealthy, because that's easier, right? It's easier to do what feels good. It's easier. We know we should exercise. We know we should steward our bodies, but pizza tastes good, too. So you would have to see that, you know, the, um, that a healthy body, a healthy living, you know, to suppress your natural desires to eat pizza for dinner and again at breakfast the next day. Cold pizza is always good. You'd have to see those desires as like less important than exercising and living healthy, right? In order to, to, to keep with it. You'd have to have a change of mind. You'd have to have a change of heart. You'd have to have some kind of discipline that says, this is actually more valuable, even though I want this thing more, right? So 
We'll never actually become people who lay down our lives and everything to make Christ Lord in everything unless we see him as more valuable. Right? Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So there you go. Um, you know, and that's what I was talking about with uh, without goals, without self-control. There's actually no protection. That's God's sovereign design and his grace to you. Um, we're going to talk a little bit later about not being performance-based, but, but self-control, discipline, goal-setting, keeping those is actually God's design uh, to, to protect you, right? So 1 Corinthians 9.27, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. The Greek literally says, I pummel my body to make it my slave, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So think about what he says. He says, I pummel my body to make it my slave. So I'm not disqualified in preaching and, and get disqualified, right? Um, I, think it would, I think it would be good for everyone to be trained to think in a slave-master relationship. So think about that. Everything in life is either the slave or the master. Either you're the slave or you're the master. Either you've mastered some desires or you're the slave to those desires. And maybe you're progressively coming out of that slavery and doing better or, or worse, but it's still a slave-master relationship. So, let's get a little practical. What about when it comes to money? Who's the slave and who's the master? Are you the master of your finances? Does your money work for you? Or do you work for your money? Right? What about your emotions? Do your emotions run you over? Do your emotions tell you what to do, what to think, how to act? Or do you tell your emotions what to think, how to feel? Right? Who do you serve? Um, you know, just real quick on, on the emotion stuff. Uh, you know, not to be confused with, you know, when you're thinking of like a slave-master relationship. I know I had succumbed to this for many years of thinking that I mastered my emotions by suppressing them. That's not the case. You're actually just more of a, more of a slave if you're suppressing emotions. Uh, to master your emotions or to master something means you control them. You decide what they do, when they do it, how they do it. Jesus wept. Uh, people were filled with sorrow. Uh, shouted for joy, right? If you don't, um, you know, if you don't weep uh, for, for the Lord, for the lost, then, then you're not master of your emotions. Uh, if you don't have righteous anger, if you don't experience that, you know, if you don't decide, you know, and see what's going on in the world, what's going on in our neighborhoods, then you're probably not master of your emotions or you're just blind. Right? So what about time? Are you master of the time or is the time master of you? All right, you ever hear people say that they don't have enough time to read their Bible? Anybody, anybody said that? <laughs> I've said that, right? It's full crap. You're lying. You've got time. There's plenty of time in the day, right? Um, you know, even when it comes to when it comes to sleep, if you don't have, if you're saying you don't have time to read the scriptures or to seek God or to worship or something, um, and you're still getting eight plus hours of sleep, there's still time, right? What about your words? Are you master of your words? 
James 3.6 says, uh, The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Ah. You know? He later goes on to say like that, that um, you know, we use the same words, we use the same mouth, the same tongue, to bless people and to curse them. And then a salt spring and a, and a fresh spring, it actually can't come from can't come from the same place. Proverbs 29, 11, uh, This is one that I had to commit to memory because I struggled with this and this was my way of life. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Right? The wise man has mastered his emotions, his words. He doesn't just suppress them, right? He uses them wisely. He uses his words to bless, to give insight, to give truth, to extend Christ's kingdom. Right? So in every area of life, we are seeking to make Jesus Lord. Right? We, need to <coughs> we need to examine and master uh, every area of life to advance God's kingdom in our character, in our mindsets, in our way of life, in our time, everything we have. Right? Everything my hands touch, my eyes see, my mind thinks, it actually has to be pummeled in order to make it serve Christ. There's actually no other way. So if anything gets across today as far as like setting resolutions and goals, I love to get to the practical stuff because then people are like, oh yeah, that's what I could like actually do. But you got to wait till the end. Is that clock right? Man, we're losing time. Um, I'm trying to leave the last 15 minutes for all practical stuff. So, which means we got to pick it up. So there's actually like the mo- most important thing when it comes to discipline is in order to make something your slave in your own body, and you to be the master, it has to be pummeled. You don't just like, bl- like flippantly walk into like knowing scripture, reading it consistently, uh, working out, whatever your resolutions and goals are. There's no other way. Christ ordained this, God ordained this from all eternity, that it has to be pummeled. And um, I even, I didn't look into this. You guys can do this on yourself. I just, I guess I'm just saying this off of, I feel like it's an intuition that that word pummeled is probably a little bit more violent than than we think, because uh, we don't really use pummeled in a common sense in our culture, I guess. You know, it's, it's probably like a violent, aggressive beating up, right? Matthew eleven twelve: the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. That's the only way the kingdom advances, by force, by force, right? So if someone looked and came and sat at our dinner table, would they know Jesus is Lord? If someone looked at our single brother's households or our single sister's households for a day, would they know that Jesus is Lord? Uh, If they looked at the way you talk to your wife when no one is around, would they know that Jesus is Lord? Right, so 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, your virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Has anybody ever wanted to be like fruitful and effective for Jesus? We got one hand. (laughs) Right? He's telling you how. Memorize it. Think about it. Right? He's telling you exactly how. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. 
Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So do you guys know that actually when we sit before um, Christ on his, on his throne of judgment, you're going to be judged for your works? Do you guys know that? Do you think it was going to be for theology? <laughs> what you thought about uh, transubstantiation versus other forms of communion? No, uh, you're actually going to be judged on your works. That's important to think about. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Right? So, yes, that's what you do is bases off of what you believe. You don't do anything you don't believe. Right? Sometimes um, we might, like, eat something that's bad for us, like just using kind of nominal New Year's resolutions or something. Like, we might, like, you know, gorge ourselves with, like, unhealthy food, and we'd say, I know it's unhealthy for me, and you're still eating it, like, as you're eating it, or something like that, right? Well, you don't really believe that, because you're eating it, you're doing it, you're trying to trick yourself into saying that, right? But we do that with much more serious things. So, um, you're actually going to be judged on your works, whether good or evil, what you've done in the body, whether those things were to submitted to Christ to make him Lord, to make him the master, to extend his kingdom, and see him glorified. So, there's discipline for you. Be disciplined people. How do we get there? We'll talk about it. But, on the dominion mandate from Genesis 1.28, God blessed them, <coughs> and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, from the very beginning, God calls his people to change the earth, right? To go from one form of control to another. To go from, here's the earthly form of dominion. It's controlled by, you know, it's not directly stated in in Genesis. There's a dominion here in the world, but you're going to take it for me. God says, for me, for my my people are going to do this, right? You're going to subdue it. You don't just like walk in and subdue the whole earth, right? It's a violent process. It's, a, it's something we're called to. It's something, those are the goals we should be setting, right? The earth was actually designed for God's people to subdue it. And that should be our goal in every area of society. And I'd love to go into the seven inevitable institutions of every society, but we'll forgo that for another time, right? But we actually see the same mandate in the Great Commission, Make disciples of every nation. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded. How many people read that and think, let's make one or two disciples in every nation? Well, let's make some personal disciples. That's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say that. He says, make disciples of all nations. Disciple the nations. Teach them to obey me. That's his call, right? That takes discipline, right? Subdue every nation for the glory of Christ. Subdue every thought philosophy, government, every institution for Jesus. Every single one, right? Uh, Currently, you can go down to 1401 East Troop Road, and our government uh, currently legalizes and sanctions uh, legal abortion 
legal murder of the unborn. Uh, that has to be brought under the dominion of Christ. That has to and will be eventually stopped, um, but that's going to take Christians working the dominion mandate, the Great Commission, to change our society. That should be a goal. That's going to take resolutions. That's going to take discipline. That's going to take action. Right? Resolution goals and disciplines have to be grace-based. So to make it clear, discipline is not holiness. Just because you're disciplined doesn't mean you're holy. Uh, It's not a means to holiness either. Just because you're going to get discipline doesn't mean you're going to get holy either. And it's not a substitute for holiness. So you have to rely on God's grace. Titus 2.11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. It's the grace that trains us and teaches us to be self-controlled. I'm going to kind of fly through these verses so we can get to some practical steps. Um, but you have to rely on grace. There's, I'm going to suggest about eight books we could read on discipline and the practical steps, but uh, you have to understand that discipline has to be grace-based or you're just creating another religion. 1 Peter 1, 3.16. I love this one. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. The Rick is literally gird up the loins of your minds. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace of God that will be delivered or will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it was written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Where does that start? Set your minds fully on the grace of God. And if you... Uh, or, you know, the ESV says, prepare your minds for action. They translate that uh, into something in English. You know, it's a, it's a type of an idiom or, or saying in the Greek that says, gird up the loins of your minds, which is, uh, we don't wear tunics. I don't know anyone that wears a tunic regularly here. But if you're going to prepare for action, you're going to prepare for battle, you're going to prepare for some type of work, men would wear these long tunics and they would have to bend down and tie them around their thighs so they can start running or doing something physical, right? It's not a just, like, we don't wear, like, you have to, like, I don't know, shuffle or something in a tunic. Uh, but you couldn't, you couldn't run. You couldn't be ready for battle. So you prepare for battle by setting your hope fully on grace. You get disciplined. You, you train. Everything's by grace, right? That's where your hope has to lie. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Right? I love, uh, I love that, right? Who decided to give us a spirit? It wasn't me. <laughs> it was God, right? So what's part of that? Power, love? I, I like that. That sounds good. Self-control? Oh, man. It's a little bit harder. But that's what he's equipped us to do, is to be self-controlled, disciplined people. The forgotten fruit of the Spirit, self-control, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So, does anybody know how long it takes fruit to grow? Uh, At least a season, right? It doesn't, most fruit trees don't grow uh, two crops of fruit in a year from what I understand. Um, I know most about coffee plants, 
and it takes three to five years for coffee beans to even, coffee plants to even start growing beans. It takes, it takes that long. So fruit is not overnight. You get the fruit of self-control by living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, being in the Spirit. You shouldn't expect to become a disciplined, self-controlled person overnight. But grace is empowerment to grow. It's on our sign out front. Or we don't have one over here anymore. It's over here. Go read the sign. Grace is acceptance as you are, but empowerment to grow. If you're not growing, if you're not becoming more self-controlled, then you're not apprehending grace properly or you're not relating it right. So let's get into some practical steps. Uh, I'm going to start by looking at a couple things that we provide as a church. Um, first of all, we have all these books on discipline, these five books, The Disciplined Life. It's very short, easy to read. Uh, we actually don't provide this one as a church, I don't think. Uh, but this one was my favorite. Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. In our library, we have Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Do Hard Things by Two Teenagers. Uh, and Disciplines of a Godly Man by Kent Hughes, which I have been actually found out last night that I've been referencing this book for like three years when I meant to be referencing... Um, the Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. So, but those are all books that we have as a church to help get you started to become a disciplined person. Because if we don't set goals, if we don't become disciplined, you'll never be useful for God. So practical steps. Set godly goals and resolutions. Sounds pretty obvious, right? Don't set ungodly goals. <laughs> don't, don't seek to be ungodly, right? But even more, like if we set New Year's resolutions and goals... Like, yeah, working out's fine, eating healthy's fine. Those are all great things. Steward your body, steward your health. But if you're not starting with godly character and Christian disciplines, you're already, in the wrong, you're already in the wrong spot. You're already not thinking clearly. So start with your own godly character. So examine where you need improvement in character. So maybe start with uh, what you're most convicted about. Now I mean like self-condemnation. That would be a, a poor character or something. Maybe you're convicted and you, you just think you're a terrible person. Well, start with like maybe your identity in Christ because that would be a character flaw. Um, you know, if you're, uh, if you're late, if you're, if you're the fool who vents his spirit or something, right? Start with where you're convicted about. And then, because we're all deceived, have someone else tell you where you need improvement. Right? Um... You know, just kind of a personal testimony. I've been kind of listening. You know, the, there's every fact and evidence is established by two or three witnesses. And over like maybe the last six months, I've had more and more people tell me that I'm uh, more critical. And they've probably been telling me that for longer. I don't know. <laughs> I just wasn't listening. Uh, so that's something I'm working on, right? So Bible reading goals, those should be of the utmost importance. So, you know, after godly character, then look at the Christian disciplines. Bible reading goals should be of the utmost importance. If you neglect this, all else will fail. There's actually, I believe, that there's no hope in you seeking to stay disciplined or stick to any other goals uh, if you don't master this one or set this one as a goal. Why? Because the scriptures are a light. There's a, there are a light into our feet and a lamp into our path, or vice versa. Psalm 105, 104, something like that. 
So, it's in Psalm 119. Um, start with Bible reading goals. Uh, I think Anvesh was trying to print our Bible, a yearly Bible reading plan. It's very easy. I shouldn't say It's very simple to read the Bible in a year. It's not always easy. It is simple, though. You could break it down into manageable sections. Um, I personally plan on doing five out of seven days a week because I'm not that disciplined and I can't read seven days a week consistently. Um, what helped me most in order to focus on like, so you're thinking like, what are the Christian disciplines? Well, read Celebration of Discipline or Disciplines of a Godly Man. Or the one that was most transformative for me was Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. So uh, in it, he lays out that every Christian should have a regular and consistent pattern of Bible intake, prayer, worship, evangelism, serving, stewardship, fasting, silence and solitude, journaling, and learning. Those are the normal Christian disciplines, the weekly or very frequently, you should be reading more than weekly, but um, you know, some of these like journaling, I don't know if you have to journal every day, but you know, those are the normal disciplines that everyone should be focusing on to begin with. That's where we start, right? Uh, so make a list, look at it. So I'm going to have to actually, I didn't write this one down, so I don't misquote it. Psalm 119, if you want to get motivated to read more of the Word, just read Psalm 119 over and over and over. So when it comes to, I just want to go right back to character. Um, when you think of those things that like, how does God want to transform my character to become a more godly, holy person set apart so I could be useful to Him? Uh, Psalm 119, verse starting at 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? Wait, what, how do you guys think? How do we keep our way pure? By reading the Bible. It says, by guarding it according to your word. Verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So just kind of a side note on, on building godly character. I, I would be convicted to say that there's no hope in you changing yourself. Well, there's no hope in you changing yourself anyways. There's no hope in you growing in godly character and God's grace changing your godly into godly character without memorizing scripture on that thing, right? So uh, I was a person who, you know, on that, um, well, let's go with a different example. So Proverbs 12.1 says, um, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Whoever hates reproof is stupid. Don't be stupid. I still have to work on that. I still don't like correction. I don't like receiving rebuke. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't like warm my heart. Right? But how it makes me feel doesn't matter. How I respond to it matters. So store those things up in your heart that God wants you to change into, God, into his character, to set you apart as holy. Right? So start with yourself. Then be on your goals and resolutions. Uh, move on to family and household goals, right? I'm going to be especially uh, hard or poignant on fathers or heads of households. Ephesians 6.4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, 
but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So if you're going to be a godly father, you have to know how to consistently bring up your children in the instruction of the Lord. This means you've got to study, meditate, and implement instruction of the Lord. Um, I said this like over and over and over in the Bible study, like at Wright State, like four semesters ago, three semesters ago, right? There's a reason we have catechisms. How many people sat through Andy's uh, catechism on the Heidelberg Catechism? How many people can recite the Ten Commandments in order? How many people can then explain them what they mean? I hope everybody that sat through it, right? That's why it's so important. You need to catechize your children. Catechize your wife. Catechize your roommates, right? Catechize yourself. Um, Your household, you should have household goals to say, especially if you're a head of household or a father, of how are we going to use this household? How are we going to make more disciples of Christ? How are we going to be more set apart as holy? And how are we going to serve the Lord? You know? Um, And there's so much that could come into that. You know, you have to think of, uh, like in a marriage relationship, if, if you're the husband and you don't have regular times of prayer or worship or something with your spouse, implement that. That's a good place to start. Those are good goals. So still under, uh, let's go to point C under resolutions and goals, setting godly goals. Uh, Seek to become the type of person that could be utilized in the church. So after you're looking to change your own godly character and be consistent with godly disciplines, set goals and resolutions for your household, how you can set your household apart as holy, and then set goals that you can become useful in God's kingdom and specifically in the church. Uh, One of my next Bible studies coming up is going to be about ecclesiology or how important the the church is. Yeah, sure, God uses people um, that aren't directly related to the church in some ways sometimes, but really the only things that that are going to last are the ministries of the church. So seek to become the type of person that can be utilized in the church, in the body. 2 Timothy 2, 20-21. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So become useful. Become somebody that could be used relied upon. All right, number two, make them specific. Guess what? I want to be a better Christian. I hope you do too. Those are, that's a good aspiration. How are you going to get there? I don't know. That's going to be my New Year's resolution for every year. I want to be a better Christian. Um, so, but that's not, that's not good enough. That's, that's so loose that you, there's nothing to focus on. So if Christ is calling us to repent... He's calling us to repent on something specific, right? So we should think of specific goals and specific resolutions to make Christ Lord and, and areas that we want to apprehend the grace of God to improve. So they need to be specific, right? I want to read the Bible in a year. How are you going to do that? How are you going to read that? What does that look like? You have to know. You can't just... Um, I mean, you actually... You're already disciplined. If you could say you're going to read the Bible in a year and 
and you just go and do it and there's no plan, then you're already maybe pretty disciplined or you have a lot of free time or you don't have a job or something. I don't know. But uh, for the majority of, of people, you have to actually plan. You have to implement. You have to have a specific goal. You have to know if you're going to read five days a week or six days a week, if you're going to read some of the new, some of the old, how are you going to intake scripture? It has to be specific. So number three, uh, put your resolutions and goals somewhere visible to be reminded regularly. Right? How many people have ever made any kind of New Year's resolution, godly or, or nominal or whatever, and like six months later you're like, oh yeah, like I, I was going to learn piano this year. I forgot about that. Right? I should have been reminded. It should be somewhere visible. Right? If God's calling you to change something, if he's calling you to change godly character and repent, that's something you should keep in mind. You should be reminded of daily. Right? All the time. But it, I made a mistake. Uh, I was trying to get into journaling last year. I journaled twice. <laughs> I, I made that a call. <laughs> it was both in January and then around October. I was like, yeah, I need to get into that. And I had bought like three journals because I thought I was going to fill them up. <laughs> I filled up the first two pages of the first one. But I didn't, I didn't set it anywhere where I was going to be reminded of it. I made a big mistake. Second Peter 1, 2 and 12. I heard Second Peter 1, uh, 12 and 13 says, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. We're forgetful people, right? Not only are we forgetful, but... If we're seeking to be conformed to the image of Christ, uh, we have real enemies that want to halt us. So you've got to do battle. You have to do whatever it takes. Um, if you're going to memorize scripture, you have to not only have a plan and make it specific, you have to be reminded of that. You have to keep something on you. You have to have an app. You have to tape cards somewhere. You have to constantly look at it. Right? And, and the last one, number four, uh, as we wrap up, have someone to keep you accountable. The reason why you can't keep yourself accountable is because you're not disciplined and you're trying to change something. You can't change something um, or else you would have already done it. <laughs> right? You need someone to keep you accountable. Uh, show your, your list to somebody in your household, uh, your disciple, your shepherd, somebody. Right? Um, and I want to give a quick reminder Another, another with a personal story. This is, I just grabbed this real quick because I uh, didn't print one off last night. I wasn't disciplined enough, I guess. Is This is our foundational book list. If you need another place to get started, uh, here's our, there's 12 books on here on the 12 things, that, 12 topics that as, our church, as a church, our eldership has uh, found to be most important and defines us as a church. I found out in a meeting um, and through Nathan Hager's help because he's tracking some of this. Uh, there's three books on here. I've been with the church for like five or six years and there's three books I haven't read. Those are my January, February, and March books this year. So get the list read. It's, it's designed to help you guys grow in Christ and explore new topics. And um, it's, if you need a book list, there it is. If you need more books, uh, if you've read that, then there's books on the back of that list. There's like 25 books or something. Read those next, right? Um, but have someone to keep you accountable. Have someone to go over this list with. Have somebody um, help you make it more specific. All right? And I kind of leave you guys with 2 Corinthians 12.9. 
But he said to me, my grace, this is uh, Jesus talking to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your grace to become people who are disciplined, who are seeking to be a holy people, set apart in all of our ways to be holy in all of our conduct and to be useful in your church, to disciple the nations. Lord, we would uh, do well to study your word day in and day out, to be filled with your spirit and to be utilized in your church so that we may become useful in making disciples of entire nations. We ask this um, in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.